You're listening to a fourth-hand production. Well, now, I got, now I got to flash my Fisher beer again. Yeah, and I got a shot. You guys got a shot? Uh, I took mine, but I'll get it one more. Hold, sir. Good luck pronouncing those Japanese words now, dickhead. <laughs> I know, right, dude. I was trying. I was like, oh, my God. what? And then I stumbled on your email. You're like, Koka Hami Hami Hui Hu? Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Now, are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental? I don't you know. know. That they're and police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. Weird animal-like creature that was shot. Wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. Welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Josh, and I worship Lord Heward. <laughs> As Heward. we all should. God, I love that guy. So... I probably said this on the podcast once or twice. I know you guys know this, but uh, I used to, I took that guy hunting one time and I used to bale his hay for him in Montana. He had a ranch over there. He used to come to my mom and dad's store all the time. And I know that's Richard. weird, but you know, there you go. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I think my dad and George Clooney had the same babysitter back in the day. Really? So there's that. I know that's, <laughs> I don't know why I <laughs> equated that to you. Uh, Hey, that's Working fair. for Huey Lewis, but, I, you know. I can't remember who it was, but one of our friends posted on Instagram the other day uh, a picture of uh, their mom with um, that dude she used to date. What was his name? Tom Selleck. Oh, and, Magna P.I., the guy. <laughs> but it was, like, when they were probably in, like, high school or, like, early, early 20s. Mm, I don't remember funny. who that was, but. I'd go on it. Actually. Mm. Anyway. Mm. Yeah, I'd go on a date with Tom Selleck. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. You need to keep the stash, though. Yeah, he'd have to pay. He would have to pay. I would not go Dutch on that. No, no. that's uh, Without the stash, he's not the same. So The rates. (laughs) Touche. He's he's got that mustache money, man. He can afford to buy me dinner. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'd let him. Him and Sam Elliott. I'll have. I'll be the sandwich in the middle of Tom Selleck and Sam Elliott any fucking day of the week. Mm. Does that sound like a dream? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so hopefully all you listeners are good out there. Um, So we did a news episode that we had, and then we actually published uh, uh, Topi Part Three. So hopefully you like that. We, you know, we originally kept that on Patreon. And then we actually had a Patreon listener that gave us idea, and she's like, "Man, you really should put this out and do this other side." So, um, so we did. We we produced it and released it, and it's a little shorter than most of the episodes. But I, I don't know, John. You know, I think that was a good idea to come to the table on Topia and just go, "Hey, you know, there's two sides of every story. This is this side here. You know what I mean?" Mm-hmm. And it's a valid side of the story too. That it's yeah. an important side that needs to be told and talked about, and yeah. Nobody's nobody's perfect, and you know, even if you got some good ideas, you could still probably have some demons as well. So, yeah, it wasn't all just fun and fucking magic. Yeah, 
I yeah, wish it, it was. It absolutely was not in any way, stretch, or form. So. <laughs> anyway, as much as you like to fantasize, romanticize, but um, yeah. so we are in the middle of uh, obviously still this shit going on. Um, I'm busier than I've ever been, but Josh is the same. John is at home. I mean, we're still kind of doing the same old same old. Uh, I had a idea that I put together that I did some research on because I I spent time in Japan and. The whole thing fascinated me. And so that is going to be um, this topic. Uh, we can roll into it, but I don't know if you guys had anything to kind of add to it or what you thought about the write-up or what you thought about Because it, it, there was a lot to it more than what I had initially when I first jumped into it. There's a lot more sides to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just going to say the write-up's great. Uh, it's I was just going to kind of do almost maybe a trigger warning for this episode that um, – it is going to be a little darker of a topic than we normally do. And, you know, we take this topic seriously. Suicide's an awful thing and we'll try and be as respectful as we can about, about it. And also if you or anybody, you know, is suffering with suicidal thoughts, there is a suicide hotline and we'll put that on in our show notes for anyone who might need it. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought I'd just do a quick disclaimer there. So if anybody is sensitive on the topic, this might not be the episode for you. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you too. Um, you know, one of the reasons that, that it fascinated me was just because I spent time in Japan, but also, you know, yes, it, it's an awful real life thing. And we, we kind of cover that because, you know, if, if nothing else, we, you know, sometimes that paranormal world kind of unfolds over into the realism world. And, and this is a very, very good example because there's a lot of mythos around this as well. Um, and that's kind of why, you know, we said we're going to dig it up and do it. But with that being said, we promise you after this one, there's going to be some fun stuff coming up. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Um, Josh, you got anything on your side? Yeah. If uh, this, if you want to complain or lodge, lodge any grievances, uh, strange uncles at gmail.com. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and if you have a, if you have anything to add to it. Yeah. And Shane's home phone number is. <laughs> yeah. Right. One, 900. So, we'll no, uh, I, I think we've all experienced something like so, someone we know and love or care about has been affected by suicide. So we're definitely, we like to joke around, but we're going to be taking this seriously. So. Absolutely. Hopefully no one is offended and, and everyone understands that we're treating you with respect. Well, yes. yeah, and I think so. So with that being said, um, let's go ahead and uh, roll into it, shall we, a little bit? Um, there's some backstory to this. So let's tell a story about a man named Terrell. After losing his position at a manufacturing company, he had enough. With his life in shambles and debt piling up with no signs of it slowing down, he purchased a one-way ticket to a train station that stopped at the base of Mount Fuji near a forest by the name of Jukai. After walking into the forest where he knew he was alone and deep enough to not be able to find his way back, he sat on a fallen tree trunk and contemplated his mortality. He looked back on his current life. His will for living was gone. He had lost sense of who he was or why he was even on this earth and made one final attempt to look inside himself to see if there was any hope left at all. Coming to the conclusion that all was lost... He took a knife out of his uh, out of his backpack that he had packed for the journey, and he attempted to slit his wrist. Well, the attempt did not work, so the wounds were shallow. 
Um, he bled a little bit, but he survived. Um, it wasn't the results that he wanted at the end of the day. And with that being said, he wandered around uh, the forest for almost almost three whole days, um, starving, dehydrated, and weak from the loss of blood. He finally collapsed into some bushes, hoping death would soon come. But fate turned for Taro, and a hiker stumbled upon him and got him to safely uh, to safety as soon as possible. Taro would lose his toes on his right foot from frostbite, but he would survive. As grim as the story sounds, it is a happy ending because there are thousands of people that wander into this exact same forest with the same intentions, and they succeed in their goal. Missing stories have surrounded this area for hundreds of years, and if the name Jukai Forest doesn't ring a bell, maybe this one will. Japan's infamous suicide forest. are unknown, but in the 1980s, Japanese officials recorded at least 30 suicides in the forest annually. I fully believe this is the most haunted forest in the world. I, I, sorry, I'd take that back. Most haunted place in the world, hands down. Aokigahara Forest lies west of Tokyo. It is so thick and dense, it has become known as the Sea of Trees. It also has another more sinister name, the Suicide Forest. So I'll be honest with you guys. When I first started looking into this, um, it, you know, just aside from the real life things that we're talking about that we disclaimed in the very beginning, um, you pull up videos and you see this this thing, and 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 it was weird because when I was so I was stationed in Japan for three years, I went to Mount Fuji and I hiked the bottom of the base a little bit, and I think I was right next to this forest or close to the gateway, but I had no clue at that time. I didn't know what it was at all. Um, it's just a really foreboding, dense, and I don't, you know, the atmosphere there too is just surreal, if, if that makes sense. So, but yeah, well, it's you know the the site of a lot of heartache and pain and loss. So I'm sure there is like kind of an overwhelming sense of those kind of residual feelings left on the forest, and you know, I'm sure all the signs don't help as well you know letting you know that if you need help you know contact someone and just all the signs about suicide and prevention and everything around there so it's yeah it's absolutely crazy you know we'll get into it in the story a little bit because you know again the real life side of it is that japan has a problem and they still have a problem although they curbed it a little bit you know it is 2020 but uh starting in 2013 um there was really a, a legitimate concern about how people treated themselves and, and the work-life balance, you know, that we, you know, here in America, we don't, I mean, yeah, everybody works, but we don't have the same thing. It's not the same setup. And I saw it firsthand when I was uh, stationed there. Um, it's just, it's just very, yeah, it's very awkward. And then on top of that, even before everything that has happened with emotions and uh, the suicides, um, there's just been some, some crazy legends around it, which, you know, we'll get into, you know, as we roll through this story. So, but let's go ahead and try to set this up for those of you who maybe you don't know, and if you don't know, that's fair, but maybe you don't know what the what the forest is. So um, the Aoki Gahara Forest, or known, uh, better names such as the, uh, the Juke Forest. Oh, by the way, let me add this. We all went back and tried to 
pronunciate these things and look on the internet, all of us for some of these words. If we butcher some of these things, our apologies. John, I, that was your idea, and I got on, and I think I found most of these words and how to phonetically say them. I, I don't think I found all. So, you know, bear with us for anybody who knows the Japanese language better. I've lost a tongue for it, really, since I've been gone, so. Yeah, give us a break, people. Yeah, please. I would appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know what an accent is. <laughs> what were you talking about? You got a Utah accent. Everybody says that. Utahns have an accent, evidently. Uh, Everybody has an accent. <laughs> right. Anyway, so um, here we go. So the Yokai Gahara Forest, or known by names such as the Jukai Forest, which translates into Sea of Trees, has unfortunate distinction of being a destination for people who are contemplating suicide. Since the 1950s, recorded suicides in the forest have been rising at an increasing rate of between 40 and 100 people per year. The only other area in the world that comes close to the same count of suicides, which I actually was stationed here too for three months, uh, was the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Aoki Gehara's dark reputation has been around for decades. In a popular 1960 novel by Japanese author, here we go, I don't want to, I wrote a little side note so I knew, um, Sieche uh, Matsuroto, he wrote about a heartbroken woman who heads into the forest to take her own life. And even as recently as 2016, and I don't know if you guys seen this. I, I flew under my radar because I didn't see it. The Oki Gahara was mainstay in a movie called The Forest, where a woman goes on a hunt to find her sister and uncover something wicked and supernatural. Yeah, I remember seeing a trailer for that a few years ago, something somewhere around that time, but it looked awful, so I never bothered looking for it. It would have been a movie I would have avoided. Yeah, yeah, and I did. It sounds like we all did, to be honest with mm. you. You know, but it's been spattered here and there, you know, in different things. So um I like camping. I don't want that to be ruined. <laughs> right. Uh the forest has unfortunately gained the more recent name of the suicide forest. And because of the tales of terror that come out of this area, it has drawn international attention. Some good, but most bad, to be honest with you. Uh, so-called YouTube stars uh, have even got on the propaganda wagon. And one loathsome piece of shit, which we won't name because, well, he's a loathsome piece of shit, which he is. I, I, You guys might remember when this came out. He went as far as to actually film and laugh at an unfortunate soul that had hung themselves in the forest. Do you guys remember that at all? And again, I'm not going to name the guy's name. but uh, I never watched any of that dude's videos because he was just annoying. So I did not see that but i i remember hearing about it like i think it made headlines being like uh this guy's taken off of all of his uh supporters and uh sponsors and everything um, pretty much the only thing i watch on youtube is warhammer 40k war <laughs> that's right you're really deep into that now aren't you dude it's fun i gotta check that <laughs> out i gotta check that out one way or another yeah that dude's a fucking loser and i'm not 15 so i don't yeah, he who I, shall not be named would get a swift kick in the dick if I happened to run into him in real life. So. Yep. yep. Sorry. I'd probably dock him, donkey punch him right in the fucking back of the head, to be honest with you. <laughs> but anyway, you know, that kind of, well, you know, honestly, that kind of brought it up to the limelight again a little bit. And, and you know, and granted, he got chastised for it, which fucking A, he should have. So that was a good thing. You know, hopefully that really put a fucking ding in his, in his bedpost. I hope anyway. So anyway, um, 
Lastly, I don't think that guy cared at all, but moving on. No, no, he didn't. Uh, lastly, a quick side note. Uh, we cover all kinds of stories, and John covered this a little bit earlier, but we really want to reiterate because this is, as, as weird as this whole story is and the myth and everything, there's another side to it. Um, so we cover all kinds of stories of the strange bizarre here on Strange Uncles, and that's the reason we picked this topic, because this topic kind of truly is we all, I think I threw four out there and this one came on top, so this is what we did. Um, but out of the utmost respect, we're going to cover it. And we more than understand the suicide is a real thing and has been a way out for many people for thousands of years. Uh, if you have a loved one that's depressed, especially in the light of the current state of affairs we live in, which everybody should know, um, we say to reach out to them. Keep the communication love for one another open. You don't have to see someone in person to help them. There are tons of support groups out there uh, that help people like this through not even suicide, but just depression in general. And, and I think all of us has, I don't know, I've got a tinge of it just because it's weird, you know, nowadays. You use these people, lie on them, talk to your family, figure out what's going on. Um, that's kind of what we want to do. And so with that being said, we're going to jump down the rabbit hole of the lost souls of the Okigahara Forest. So geography, let's cover some geography and actually things that we know of the area. Again, I was there, but uh, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Uh, Okigahara is a forest on the northwestern flank of Japan's Mount Fuji, about two hours from Tokyo, which is a beautiful mountain, by the way. One of the, there's another one right next to it that is uh, close as well. Uh, the forest thrives on 12 square miles of hardened lava laid down by the last major eruption of Mount Fuji in 864 CE. The western edge of Aokigahara has several caves that fill with ice in the winter and is a popular destination for tourists and school trips. Parts of the Aokigahara are very dense and the porous lava absorbs sound along with the dense growth helping to provide visitors with a sense of solitude. Um, that's something that I really didn't know. Did you guys... Like, it really is weird when I was watching the videos. It literally, like, you don't hear wildlife. You don't hear anything. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind when I was watching some videos on it that there's, like, really just, there's not a lot of wildlife in there except maybe some rodents and some other small animals. But, but yeah, the limit, the wildlife population is super limited, which is. Yeah, because it's a huge forest. You'd think there'd be more. Yeah, you'd be yeah. think it would be teeming with life, especially since it's green all year round as well. Like, you know, like how are how is only deer and squirrels living there? Well, and that's what's amazing too, because you look at it from an aerial view, you know, again, it's at the bottom uh, the base of Mount Fuji and, and you see it. I mean, it's all just beautiful, lush greenery that surrounds a whole volcano, basically is what it is. But yeah, mm -hmm. it was weird. I mean, there's wildlife there. But every single story I came across and every single video I came across, there's nothing. You don't even hear, you don't hear a bird chirp. It, it, it would just, it would just crazy. It would just weird. So that's that, that in itself is eerie. I feel like I would feel so strange if I was in the middle of a dense, dense forest and didn't hear shit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you would think like I, I would get the hell out of there just from that. I'm like, this isn't good. Like I'm out. That, out put, that put me on edge. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. So. Anyway, that's funny. Um, the forest floor is mostly volcanic rock, which can be difficult to penetrate with hand tools. Uh, the forest is very dense, making the reason of how easy it is for people to get lost and never find their way out. Uh, the trees are so overshadowed and thick, and this goes back into the denseness. Uh, rarely do you see the sun come through. 
Because of this, one thing you'll see throughout these woods is tape or string. And I heard about mm-hmm. this, but literally people will like track their way back through so they don't get lost. Um, they they basically mark their way pretty much, and tourists do it too. Even if they're not there for whatever right. intention they're there for, they'll still they kind of cycle. They'll accidentally their... become victims of the forest or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, that just that just sounds like a smart plan if you're going to go in there and hike. If I mean, I'm pr- they have trails that you're supposed to stick to. Right. But but even then, I think from the sounds of it, it, it's not hard to get lost in there. No, not at all. And, you know, and it's funny because I caught one thing that uh, even what they call them like nature police are out there. Um, yeah. They even get lost and kind of turned around and they don't understand what's going on, which is which mm-hmm. actually Joshua has a fun fact coming up, which we'll talk about. Um, but, you know, designated trails are for the tourists where they can go in, they can go out. Um, there's really cool things there. Um, there are the Nehru Sawa uh, ice caves and the Fugaku wind cave and Lake Sai bat cave, which are the three larger lava caves in the Fukiga in, uh, let me see, here we go. We're butchering it. Large lava caves, uh, Fugaku near Mount Fuji. So that's all in the <laughs> same thing in the, <laughs> it's in the forest, but it's on the very edge of the forest, very edge of the perimeter. But um, you don't really have to go that deep into the forest to see these things. So a lot of tours are around there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for a cave, personally. I don't care what kind of cave it is. I don't know why, but, you know, there's that. But that's kind of the geography of the layout. Uh, next, we're going to run into some other stuff, but we are going to take a quick break, and uh, we will come back. Stay tuned. What up, fart knockers? Aries. Stop insulting people. These are potential listeners. Yeah, I'm so sure. Happy horror coffee break, old time horror radio show. We take the best and worst <laughs> creepy pasta stories online, and our finest of quality reenactors perform them for you in the style of old timey horror radio drama. Everyone knows it's just you disguising your voice poorly. No, it's not. Besides, we have an abundance of great guests. There's music and t-shirts. And a bunch of dick and fart jokes. You're not wrong. (laughs) Catch us on all the major podcasts, thingamawoppers. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Schlapstick, Hard Knockers, and the rest. Idiot. Tune in every other Friday. There's a new episode. Or just stick your head in an oven. Same difference. Aries. <laughs> we need to have a little chat. <laughs> Toodles! And we're back uh, with a fun fact. I, I know you guys didn't know I used to be an MC, but... <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen! A little taste of my fire. Um, so, an actual fun fact uh, of this is uh, one of the myths of the Aoki Gahara is that is that it compasses do not work. So it adds to the problem of getting the fuck out of where you're at. Uh, this is partially true. Uh, so if you lay a magnetic compass directly on the forest floor, uh, it will align with the lava's, lava rock's natural magnetism which varies in iron content and by strength and location. Um, however, uh, compass works perfectly fine if you use it like a normal human being, like in your hand standing up. Um, 
Or you could just whip out your Cups app on your phone like Travis Taylor. Because <laughs> uh, that's not based off a of magnet. Um, this urban legend seems to have embedded itself deep in the suicide forest mythos, which does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, that's a... a nugget, A little nugget of truth. Yeah, you got to have a little creepiness to the to the mythos for sure. Um, here's another fun fact, and boy, this this is a this is a fun one, guys. So all you strangers out there, you just hold on to your butts. <laughs> uh, but opened in 1997, Gulliver's Kingdom was a failed theme park, only lasting ten years. The theme park was shut down, and several years later, everything was bulldozed, and now there are no traces of said park. Why you asked did this theme park shut down? Well, first off, it was a white elephant of the Japanese government where in the 90s, they were trying to fund projects to stimulate the economy. But at $350 million to build the park, that failed. Uh, also, we think location had a big role to play. Built in the town of Kamikuku Ishiki Village, which was at the foot of Mount Fuji, seems to be a great location. However, the theme park had other issues that might have led to its demise. Most notably, it was built near Aoki Gahara for one thing. And the other problem, well, it was built in the same village that was the base camp home and the nerve gas production facility to the infamous Japanese doomsday cult, Am Shinrikyo. So there's that. So, okay, so do you guys mind if we talk about that a little bit? I, you remember the doomsday cult, right? Yeah, um, I've I've heard about it loosely. I, I I don't know much about it though. Please enlighten us. Well, Josh, you I don't know. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was just gonna say like I follow uh, this uh, person on Twitter that's like an expert in it and like talks about it a lot because I don't know I'm weird. <laughs> what uh, was their deal? Are they like preppers or something? Or yeah, kind of. It yeah. was kind of along the lines of Heaven's Gate. Um, like they thought they could bring down the government and all sorts of shit. It was weird and crazy. Um, did they kill like a the bunch person, of people? Yeah. Well, they tried to. They, they released sarin yeah. nerve gas on a Tokyo subway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Only like one or two people ended up dying, and maybe a couple more ended up being seriously hurt. But like, uh, they were trying for like mass casualties. Um, and yeah, I mean, like sarin gas ain't nothing to fuck with. Like. Oh, dude, that that shit's that shit crazy. Fucking nuts. So, uh, yeah, they 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 were they were a weird bunch. Yeah, definitely I not like Toby. Yeah, I didn't know they had like a whole facility. Like they they produced this shit. Like they had a whole mm-hmm. warehouse. And I remember hearing the story about the subway. I remember hearing the nerve. And I, you know, again, that's another episode or another thing. But I don't know how many got affected or killed. I think they're. It was fairly substantial, you know, because I mean. Japan runs on everything in Japan's a subway. There's no, I yeah. mean, it, it's the best transportation system in the world next to some hotspots in Europe. It, it blows your mind, like how connected it is. And so, yeah, obviously, you know, they're going to let that stuff off. Um, and I think, and I can't remember, Josh, is he, he's still, he's in prison still, right? And his followers, like he's not dead. Um, I am fact checking my shit right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you think about that. So with this side note too, um, what Josh read about the the fun fact for the park, um, on mystrangeuncles.com, which is our website, every now and again, I get a wild hair up my ass and I kind of write a research paper or John does or Josh does and we throw things out there. 
I love abandoned shit. I don't know why. It's just weird to me that people used to live somewhere and then they picked up and they left. And one of them is amusement parks. And there's so many amusement parks around the around the world that are just the trees are growing around them and the forest is eating them up and there they are. Well, one is this Gulliver's Kingdom, and uh, it's fucking creepy. I've got pictures on there where they literally have like a 40-foot Gulliver laying down, rope down, if you guys remember the story, and like graffiti oh, all over I, his face and all that shit. It's crazy. I have seen pictures of that. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, those old, like, the Olympic parks in the Ukraine and stuff like that yeah. that are all overgrown and spray-painted and stuff. What a colossal waste of money. Oh Jesus! The Olympics are <laughs> in oh, yeah. general. Also, yeah, <laughs> I like how you say that. Like, so thirteen commuters were killed, uh, fifty-four seriously injured, and nine hundred and eighty were affected. If I remember, because wow. this was a huge deal when I was like just about ready to like, I think I was like a junior in high school. Um, like, the main reason it wasn't more deadly was because the device they built was faulty and didn't go off right i i think i remember Uh that yeah it didn't light off like it should have or something yeah Hmm. and i I don't remember off the top of my head if uh and i'm a really slow reader so by the time this episode's over i might find this but um (laughs) i don't remember uh if the leader was caught and is imprisoned or if uh or if he was killed um but Let's look real quick. Well, we'll find out for it. It seems to me yeah. like I think he was like life in prison or something. He was sentenced to death in 2004. Yeah, um, sounds about right. Oh, yeah. Executed by yeah. hanging on July 6, 2018. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, oh, 2004 and then 2018. Well, that's a nice little fucking stretch of time. Oh, great. Yeah, that okay. sounds about right for like a democratized. Jesus yeah. Christ. Most of them don't even have the death penalty anymore. Anyway. No. Yeah. 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 Let's let's <laughs> dive back into it. Yeah, it's just crazy. Um little fun facts like that. But I, I think like that theme park, yeah, that probably failed. Um and then uh Japan's whole one of the reasons and we cover this in the podcast, we'll come on to it, is just um the whole economy. And there was a time when the economy after World War Two was shit and they were trying to upkick it. And this was kind of part of that. You know, it takes 40, 50 years for a rebound at times, depending on what the country is. Um, and that's kind of leads to the fact that, you know, kind of where we're at now, um, which I will go into. So data collected from 1988 to 2003 shows uh, how common suicide is inside Okigahara. In that span of six years, the confirmed number of suicides was 442, although researchers justifiably speculate that the number was closer to 700, which, Jesus, you know, damn near double. That is so many. Oh, gee, I, yeah. I mean, what? Just That's fucking crazy, you know. Um, bodies are found there and removed, but a lot of bodies go unnoticed, uh, depending on how they decide to commit suicide. There are many people who go missing but are never found, and then two or three years later, a hiker tourist stumbles upon a complete skeleton with shoes still on their feet, just kind of hanging out, you know, yeah, doing its thing. Um, it's and that just goes back to the whole thing of how dense that fucking place is. You know, if you got people out there combing around and you think you made the perimeter check and then you miss something from like two years later, I mean, it's not funny, but damn, you know, it's just, it's crazy where people go off the beaten path and there's no way you can find them, you know? Yeah. So, um, the suicide rate is now at such epidemic proportions that signs in both English and Japanese, which John actually talked about earlier, 
um, are posted at the outer entrances of the Ioki Gahara Forest, imploring individuals to resist the urge to kill themselves. One of them reads, your life is something precious given to you by your parents. Another sign states, meditate on your parents, siblings, and children once more. Do not be troubled alone. Uh, these words speak to the Japanese heritage. We tried to research recent numbers of the deaths from the last year, but the problem is when I started diving down that, I think 2017, they started pulling those stats because it is such a huge problem that they don't, they're trying to curb it by not telling people how many bodies they're finding so they don't encourage that. Like it's a, a fucking, well, like a fad, I guess, type thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like a typical government thing too. Like uh, the number of reported COVID-19 deaths is going to be super fucking low compared right. to what it actually is because mm. like uh, people that can't get healthcare because the hospitals are swamped and die of other reasons, they still really died because of COVID-19 because they couldn't get healthcare but they're that's not what's going to be listed as their reason of death and they're not going to be counted in that tally right and this is kind of the same thing you know what i mean like if they just find a random skeleton they might say well this person got lost and died they weren't trying to kill himself so it's not a suicide yeah yeah you know? but also i think the more they talk about it i think they just don't want to draw attention to the place at all more than i mean it already yeah. has yeah but the and more the more they do that you know maybe somebody that's having troubled thoughts is like, well, that seems like a fitting place to go. Like I just heard about this place. Maybe, you know, go to Japan, yeah. see Japan and, right. you know, in my life and possibly a beautiful place. Yeah. Maybe trying to find some beauty at the end of maybe an ugly life or what they deem to themselves to be an ugly life. So um, in Greenland, they have a very small population and they have a really high suicide rate, especially among teenagers and they've actually been doing a lot of like uh, study into uh, if it's actually contagious because they've noticed that there like will be kind of a, a, a curve, you know, like um, like suicide's contagious. Like it's a like yeah, a trend yeah, kind of like, like someone someone in like a high school will commit suicide and then there will be like a cluster and like four or five other people, you, uh, usually people that knew the person or whatever, but like will also commit suicide. Crazy. And because it's such a small population, it's a huge, huge mm -hmm. deal. Um, so I don't know. That's just like an wow. interesting aside. But yeah, yeah. Um, Tori actually in high school, she had a lot of friends. Yeah, suicide in like a really small amount of time. I know that was really tough on her, but yeah, that affected her really hard. That's, so, that's crazy, yeah. you know. And it's uh, and again, I think it. Well, you know, and, and, you know, we can probably do this on the wrap up, you know, after we're done, but it, it really, it, it's funny how fragile the mind is, you know, and you have all these things that are affecting what you do every day, whether it's work, whether it's personal, you have people that really, they can't make friends. They don't have friends, just how people take things. You know what I mean? There's strong mm -hmm. minds and there's minds that are just kind of, I don't know, floating around in the breeze and, and it's sad, you know, I, I yeah, it, it's a fucking crazy thing. Um, so, you know, again, with that being said, it, it, it's just, it's crazy. Um, the suicide rate and everything else is going on. Uh, it is now, let me see. Sorry, I lost my point real quick. So they quit tallying, basically. Um, 2003, however, they thought that they actually had, it was kind of the epic proportions. Um, they had a record year, and it's shitty because it's, what a record to break. 
um, that they had 102 bodies that they actually found in 2003. And again, that's not wow. the people that they didn't find that, mm-hmm. you know, are there. So and that's still a lot. Like we're talking uh, about human beings, you know, in a, in a 12 square foot, mile, you know what I mean? I mean, that's really, it's just, it, yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what's 102 divided by 12. It's, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of a staggering number for just one area of public. Well, yeah. Of a public place, like yeah, and then you, you know, think about roughly eight and a half people every month. Oh Jesus, yeah, that's oh, that's crazy. And then you think about you know again tourism still going on the the caves and everything. You know you have this mixed match of where some people aren't even really concerned, or maybe they're going because they hear the the mythos of it, but they're not going for this other thing. But you still you know it's a, still a tourist attraction just because mm-hmm. of the structure of that area. You know what you can see. Um, Okay, so guys, I put together uh, some voiceovers um, that we're going to play. Uh, I, I caught actually uh, something that was a nature police that basically that's his job, and they do hire him, and they go around, and they just, number one, they look for possible bodies. Two, they uh, they talk to people if they see like tents that are propped up in the middle of the trailheads or the pathways, and they try to talk to them, and a lot of times they're successful. Uh, sometimes you're not. Um, so anyway, I've got the first voiceover for that. And it's just very interesting, I thought. Uh, so bear with me and my my voice over this guy. <laughs> so stand by. Either you find a dead body or you find traces that someone was there. You always find something. We accidentally found this. But it's not a prank. They nailed this character upside down as a symbol of contempt of suicide. No, it's more like a curse. The curse is nailed in. I think this person was tortured by society. I think this was done by the same person. It says suicide note. The name is written here. I came here because nothing good ever happened in my life. Don't look for me. It's nailed like the other one. It must be the same person who did the doll. It's obvious that they were still hesitant to die. Yeah, there's that. Um... So, not so much a fun fact. Um, in traditional Japanese culture, it is dishonorable for someone to commit suicide. Uh, it brings shame on the said individual and shame on the person's family. Because of this, when bodies are found by Aoki Gahara's nature police, yeah, that's what they're called, uh, they carry the bodies from the forest to the local police station, where they are put in a special room and used specifically or sorry, where they're put in a special room used specifically to house suicide corpses. Also, some believe that if a corpse is left alone, it is very bad luck for the yurai or ghost of the suicide victim. Uh, We'll cover yurai later. Uh, The spirits are said to scream through the night and that their bodies will move on their own. For this reason, when a body is found and it can't be carried out until the morning, one of the nature authorities has to stay with the body in the forest overnight. Uh, maybe don't be Christ almighty. Um, to add to the fact 
the villagers who live in the town that sits at the entrance of the suicide forest are banned from entering. Uh, if locals enter and if they come out alive, uh, they are shunned and ridiculed by the rest of the town. Uh, there is still a very traditional belief in the Oni, which we will also cover later. Um, that shit's wild. Like, Fuck if my that, job by the way. go into the forest and find bodies and then sit with them overnight, that would not be my job for very much longer, I don't think. I would have to be pretty fucking destitute and poor to want to have that job. Well, and then, so this is where we start kind of delving into the supernatural side of the forest. So it's not all doom and gloom and realism, but um, just Jesus Christ, they, they scream throughout the night unless somebody's with them. I mean, it's super compassionate that they do that. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I think they are doing that from a from the view of compassion, really. Mm, yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, our friend Emma and what she does, like, yeah, uh, comes from a compassionate spot. But like, I think you got to be made of sterner stuff to do it. Mm. Like, I I couldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, and I mean, you know, maybe no one was there for him in life, so somebody can sp- spend some time with them in death, which is that that's pretty honorable. Yeah. You, you know, I, and that's one thing I, I tell you, honestly, a little side note real quick is, um, you know, they, I, I dated this gal there for a while and she had a grandfather who's very, very traditional. And, uh, he lived near a, there was like a park and, and almost every Sunday, it wasn't every Sunday, but close to it. I would take the train up there. And of course there was a ghost on that train. I don't know if I ever told that story in the podcast. I will sometime just remind me guys, but, um, I would meet with him and then we'd walk and he go, he would go to the exact same park and draw the exact same Buddha statue. And, and he'd do it like he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sketches. They would all be the same of the same thing, but they would all be different. The Japanese tradition and Japanese culture is just phenomenal. Like how everything underlies so much. So when you look at that, I mean, yeah, I think it's coming from a place of compassion so much more and tradition and love than, than anything else. But then on the flip side, not to be the bear of bad news, but damn, you know, the tales that they come up with about these ghosts and these supernatural beings, I mean, that that tops the scale of anything that we talk about for our tales. You know what I mean? It's just fucking yeah, crazy. It's, it's, it's all incredibly interesting and in-depth. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, all right. So other odd things about the geography of uh, Oakigahara. Because the forest is so lush, it's essentially soundproofed. Almost all outside noises are shut out, so only natural noises in the immediate area can be heard. Yet despite all of this, the area harbors almost no wildlife, which contributes to the belief that Ookikahara is haunted. We looked up the wildlife and nature found in the forest. There's a lot. I mean, like John was talking earlier, there's animals there, but they're Mm. just not, it's just not, it's not traditional of what should be in a forest, if that makes sense. Um, there have been hundreds of reports that while you're there in the forest, it is dead silent. Um, excuse the pun. Sorry, maybe I should have wrote that different. Many <laughs> people, <laughs> sorry guys, many people report that only the sounds they hear are blood curdling, unnatural screams while wandering the forest, said to be made by the URI, which again we will cover later. A writer for the Japan Times told of an incident where he heard a terrifying scream in the forest. When he went searching for the source of the noise, he came across the dead body of a man at the base of a tree. A quick examination revealed that the corpse had been dead for some time. It could not have been the source of the scream. But 
as we covered before, maybe the spirit was. Uh, locals say they can easily spot the three types of visitors to the forest. Trekkers interested in scenic vistas of Mount Fuji, the curious hoping for a glimpse of the macabre, and those souls who don't plan on leaving. Um, yeah, there's that. So um, I think we are ready for a break again real quick. Uh, or do we want to do the clip first? What do you want to do? Sorry. Let's let's do the clip and then let's take a break. Roll into a break. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Here we go. What's this? A mirror? It's a woman's mirror. It's a suicide manual. It's about the Jukai. It says, don't underestimate the mysterious Buddhist monk. There's a Buddhist monk who lives in the Jukai. The fact that she had this book means she was here for that reason. I think the way we li live in society these days has become more complicated. Face-to-face -face communication used to be vital, but now we can live our lives being online all day. However, the truth of the matter is we still need to see each other's faces, read their expressions, hear their voices, so we can fully understand their emotions to coexist. I kind of threw that one in there because of um, the situation we're in currently. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, Japan's been dealing with this, but wow, you know, I mean, think about it. Yeah, we're all stuck looking at screens of each other, and yeah. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. So, anyway. Uh, with that being said, we'll let you guys contemplate that as we go to a uh, quick commercial break. Stand by. Good evening, ma'am. Hey, y'all. What can I do you for? Can I have a glass of Chardonnay? I'm sorry, darling. We don't serve that here. Any Merlot? I'm pretty sure you don't want these feet going nowhere near them grapes. Alrighty, how about a craft beer? Oh yeah, we got plenty of craft beer. Which one you want? No, not craft beer. Craft beer. Oh, no, hell no. I'm, I'm pretty sure the bar down the street serves that. Okay, well what do you serve? I'm glad you asked. Welcome to the Backwoods Barcast. We serve up moonshine, cheap beer, bottom shelf liquor, and stories even harder to swallow. Join Nick. And Brittany. And the janitor, Steven, as we discuss southeastern mysteries and mayhem, including but not limited to UFOs, true crime, the paranormal, and much more. So knock four times, grab a stool, let the bar talk commence, and as always, drink more beer. So let's talk about the whys of the suicides. Why is this an issue in Japan? Whether they go to the suicide force to complete their mission or whether they just decide life isn't worth living and they commit suicide wherever, why is this an issue? Japan was ranked 26 globally among age-adjusted suicide rates in 2015. According to the World Health Organization, 
Overall, there were 15.4 suicides per 100,000 population, which breaks down to 9.2 for women and 21.7 for men. Jesus. Death, death rates worldwide started to reduce in 2010, with the exception of Japan and South Korea, which continue to rise yearly. In the 90s, the suicide force started gaining huge notoriety because of the number of suicides spiking, mainly due to the economic crisis that hit Japan in that decade. The reason for suicides in Japan being a viable option may be because of these reasons. And the first is just that suicide is an extremely complex phenomenon with multiple factors, including the economic recession. Being worked to death, quote unquote, in Japan is an actual thing they call kuroshi. Kuroshi actually translates to overworked death. Kuroshi deaths range from heart attack or a stroke brought on by stress and starvation diets. And I'm definitely of the opinion that, you know, everyone, you need to work hard in your life and nothing good ever comes from not working hard. There's nothing wrong with hard work, but you definitely need to balance that with free time. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you don't have free time, what's, we what are, are you all going to die eventually. So what's the point of, what's the point of that life? I don't know. Yeah, and I, we shouldn't be racing to a red light, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hurry up and wait. Yeah. Type so, fucking thing. I mean, if you can just slow down and enjoy some free time with, you know, yourself or your friends or loved ones or it's whatever, you know, whatever you may enjoy doing. I don't Smell know. the but, roses a little bit, you know? God yeah. Damn. Um, another reason beyond that, there's stigma around receiving mental health care, especially for men and a greater tendency in Japan to view suicide as a rational decision. One of the terms for suicide is jaketsu, which means to decide for yourself. And let's not forget about another factor that led to a huge number of suicide in the mid nineties to the mid two thousands. A man by the name of Waturu Surmi wrote a book in 1993 called The Complete Manual of Suicide. Um, That book sold more than 1 million copies in the first year it was published, and investigators who found bodies in the suicide forest during this time frame said at least 50% of the people had the manuscript lying next to them. So, and I mean, in that voiceover clip that you did, Mm -hmm. they, he found, along with a woman's mirror, he found that manuscript. Yeah. Yeah. And just, why would you write a book like that? I, you know what? I was going to order it. And then I, I st- and then I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not, why are you putting something like this together? And this is a weird thing about Japanese culture where it, it as traditional and as loving as it sometimes is, it goes either all the way far left or all the way far right. Like there's no in the middle. Because it's just, it's just it's really hard to explain that culture, but yeah, that that book. I mean, my God, and you know, there's a huge percentage of bodies that are found with that book laying right next to them. Yeah. So don't you have to have some kind of responsibility there? You know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder what his opinion on that is. I'm sure there's had to have been interviews of him. Like, why? What was the main goal of writing this? Like, are you? Does he think he's help actually helping people? I, you know, and I, I found so actually, I think Josh has some on his side. Um, yeah, I think we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, maybe we should take take our audience through the uh, not so dishonorable 
uh, reasons someone might commit suicide. Yeah. Um, and then real quick, so yeah, we can go on that. And then also, uh, I got a little clip of the overwork, uh, thing, which again is a thing, but you know, when it's on the news, this turns tends to be a problem. Does that make sense? So we're going to play that real quick. And then, uh, yeah, then we'll look at the other side of the coin a little bit. A surge in work-related deaths is forcing Japan to take a hard look at its office culture. Years after losing his son, Itsuo Sekigawa is still in shock, grief-stricken and angry. Straight out of college in 2009, his son Satoshi proudly joined a prestigious manufacturer. But within a year, he was dead. Investigators said the stress of working extreme hours drove him to take his own life. The young engineer fell victim to the Japanese phenomenon of karoshi, or death from overwork. An early day for him was going home at 9 p.m., his father says. If work wasn't finished, he'd stay until midnight. So I remember when I was, um, you know, again, I'm sorry to beat the old drum, but we go out, we go out drinking outside the base, and the, every once in a while you'd have these Japanese businessmen that would show up to drink in the same bars with you in like suits and ties and and they would just get shit faced till like ten o'clock at night and then wander back home because they had to start the whole fucking thing over again. These guys are looking at like fucking 12, 14, 16 hour days. And and you know, you see them, it's funny because there's machines, dispense machines on the side, and you literally could get anything from whiskey to panties to beer mm-hmm. in these fucking machines. Just fucking crazy. And John, you I think you said you've been there, right? yeah i've been no. there yeah i've yeah. seen like yeah there's like just vending machines i saw this little like commune of vending machines once with the most random things in there i have a friend that lives out there well he's japanese mm. his name's naofumi and he does risk assessment for a bank and he says he works 15 hours a day six days a week yeah which no yeah yeah exactly like, thank you no no, I, I could mean, not do that. Like a 15 hour day, even once a week is too much. Every now and again, I'll pull a double shift, but very, very fucking few, you know? Yeah. There was a time when my work culture got a little toxic like that. And it was like, you were expected to work at least a nine or 10 hour day, which is nothing compared to a 15 hour day. No. Um, but like, uh, even that was just kind of fucking wild. Like this shit will be here tomorrow. Well, yeah. When you start getting, see, I start running out of steam when I'm like on the 13th hour, I'm like, okay, fuck this has got to be, hopefully I'm on the tail end of what the fuck's going on here. And I do it every now and again for critical maintenance and other things for facilities, but not, not very often. But you know, you see these Japanese business people with a vending, like they're standing outside on their lunch break, standing next to the vending machine with this giant beer that's like bigger than the one John's drinking on the video, for those of you who can't see the video. Um, and it has a plastic handle attached to it. And they're trying to down this thing as fast as they can for the lunch break so they can go back up and do their office work. Um, it's yeah. just so weird, you know? Like back in the day when like we were expected to work at least a 50-hour work week, if not closer to 60, like I had a lot of drinking lunches and was very ineffective would have been much more effective if I was just working right. eight hours. Right. You know? Mm. Yeah. Let's, let's work my ass off for this amount of time. We can fucking make it work. But um, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Our culture now is way better. We go, we get like every other Friday off and shit, but 
That's cool. I think it comes around. You know, there was a time in the 90s where it was pretty pushed. But, you know, again, Japan still, you know, they're still feeling the push. Um, and with that being said, you know, John had covered, you know, the manual suicide and other things. Um, there's another flip of the coin here. So I'm going to go into that real quick. Um, although suicide is found to be dishonorable, how you commit suicide is not. So take, for example, the method of suicide the samurai use. Um, this is called a seboku or Harry carry, which I, I never even, I used to hear Harry carry all the time, I think because of that one guy that was a sports yeah, announcer, there was like, uh, an announcer for the Cubs or the <laughs> right. Angels, or someone that was named Harry Carey, and he said weird ass yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, he's the Chicago Cubs announcer, and he was the announcer for years and years and years. Will Ferrell, he's like Will Ferrell does one of the best SNL skits. That's like, what I. <laughs> if the man was made of cheese, would you eat it? I know I would. I'd come back for seconds. Oh my God. I, I Hopefully there's some humor here. Yeah, that's why I remember seeing those little clips, um, but that's what it was called. Um, it translates uh, to abdomen or belly cutting. Uh, this is a form of Japanese ritual suicide by disembowelment, which was reserved specifically for the samurai. Yet to this day, some Japanese still view it as a noble action and not dishonorable. However, this usually is not how someone usually commits suicide. So that kind of knocks that completely off the table because hanging... Well or everything else is just kind of out of the picture, you know? So like a note about that, like that was for warriors who were defeated in battle. And so therefore had quote unquote dishonored their warlords or their masters. Right. And for them, it was the honorable thing to do. They had been defeated. So instead of surrendering or even after they had surrendered, but to surrender with honor, they would fucking take the, I forget the name of the small blade, not the katana, but the small small oh. like dagger blade they would carry yeah i know they what would you're take talking about. that and they would fucking jam that shit into their gut oh. cut straight up and then straight over let it spill out and then if uh your enemy was compassionate uh or if you surrendered to a friend who had become an enemy they would cut your fucking head off oh like it was a very gruesome painful thing to do and that's what made it honorable was that you were like you were saving face basically you were saying I failed. I am not worthy. I will make myself worthy. It's fucking crazy. Like, wow. It's amazing and oh. terrifying all at once. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but here's a quick look, getting back to what uh, John was talking about earlier. Here's a quick look at the author of the suicide manual himself. Um, and this is a quote from him. Uh to think that at the worst crucial moment one can escape from the pain by committing suicide, one can live for the moment easier. So by distributing this book, I want to make this stifling society an easier place to live in. This is the aim of this book, and I never intended to encourage readers to commit suicide. Although this book is a manual, the author explains his philosophy throughout, and opposes the social pressure to live, uh, to live strong. Um, and in every suicide method, he rates different aspects of suicide, such as painfulness, gruesomeness of the body, probability of failure, and costs in the event of failure, and so on. Uh, the fact that one can easily identify the least painful and easiest method of suicide was controversial at the time of the publication. Uh, the 198-page book provides explicit descriptions and analysis on a wide range of suicide methods, such as overdosing, hanging, jumping, carbon monoxide poisoning, 
Uh, the book provides matter-of-fact assessment on each method in terms of the pain it causes, effort of uh, preparation required, uh, the appearance of the body, and lethality. Uh, he covers 11 categories of suicide methods that include, as we said, overdosing, hanging, uh, self-defenestration, which I remember I wanted to look that word up because I think I know what it means, but I don't remember if I know what it means. Uh, slashing the wrist and carotid artery, car collision, gas poisoning, electrocution. It goes on and on. It's pretty fucking morbid. Uh, and of course, last but not least, the Aokigahara forest. So yeah. I understand a lot of this having had moments in my life where I felt like I was fucking over it and didn't want to try anymore. You know, um, I think if you've never had a day where you thought about suicide, you're probably, you probably need to talk to somebody. Honestly. Absolutely. Um, you're bottling shit up or ignoring it. Um, and I don't know, I'm not a trained mental health professional, so I'm not going to make judgments. <laughs> you're not. I feel like everybody's had a, at least one moment, even if it was just a moment where they were like, I just want to go home and they're sitting on their couch at home. But like, that's not what they mean by, I just want to go home. They like want to go. Yeah. Home. Yeah. The big, that- the big home. Yeah. Um, so def- defenestration is the act of throwing someone or something out of a window. The term was coined around the time of an incident in Prague Castle in the year 1618, which became the spark that started the 30 years war. Oh, wow. Shit. Jesus Christ. All there's right. that. So, so self-defenestration would be jumping out a fucking window. Yeah. I'm going to use that. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to wedge that into my next meeting call and see if anybody knows what that means and see if it just <laughs> goes to the wayside completely. So. I'm just going to throw my chair at the office window and be like, I'm defenestrating myself. <laughs> oh my God. Ah, that's crazy. No. Um, yeah. I, I think I go back to you, John, you know, I don't know why would you write something like that? What, what the fuck? You know, I, I don't, I don't get that. At all. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly he's like, well, no, don't do any of this. Live a strong life. But why do you, I still. But if you're gonna. So this isn't the guy from the beginning of the story that tried to kill himself and didn't succeed, right? No, no, it's not. And you know what's funny? And so we're going to kind of wrap it up here because, you know, I feel we're all kind of sullen um, <laughs> at this point. I feel it's my fault, too. Uh, keep in That's mind. Well, you know what? This is important to talk, and as fucking dumb as this sounds, it's important to talk about. These are weird times for everybody, um, but I do guarantee part two gets into the supernatural and the other stuff, and I, I think it's a little funner. But, you know, the, I, I guess consider this our public service announcement, you know, if we've never done one before. This is a fucking thing. And no, Josh, so the guy at the beginning, it was really hard for me to find stories where people would confess that they tried to go through something, but they, but they didn't, you know, they, they didn't succeed in their goal. So basically, you know, they survived. I, and I don't know if it, it's an honor thing, like people didn't want to talk about it or write about it, or I, I venture to guess that maybe in Japan society, that kind of probably is the case, but I don't think it's you know? a cultural thing. Like I know people who have tried and like try to cover up the signs that they've tried. And if anyone asks them about them, they're just like, they don't want to talk about it, which I totally understand. It's a moment yeah. of, I weakness. don't want to say weakness because no. I've thought about it before. So like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like 
denigrate anyone who's ever contemplated it or anything like that. But like, but I mean, uh, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. want to admit it, yeah. especially to someone you think might not understand. Mm. Absolutely. Like a reporter or a statistician. <laughs> yeah. Probably the last <laughs> person you want to talk to. Right. Exactly. There's that. And so. then if you want to bring back in cultural relativism, if I were a Japanese person and a fucking reporter with an American accent came up to me and was like, Hey, so let's talk about this. What's up? I'd be like, fuck you. Yeah, no, you're right. Actually. Yeah. Well, and even in Japan, you know, I didn't find a lot of reports that were translated where there was like news reports on it other than the work, you know, the death from work thing, um, which it just fucking ironic. And, and I don't, so I'm going to leave a little bit of a happy note. And I don't think I, told the story on the podcast before crook i tell you guys a story about the beach i've heard it a lot of times i don't know if i've ever heard it i don't think i've podcast, told so i think we should get it on record <laughs> okay so um we me and two friends of mine decided we were going to go ahead and go camping we found this little town on the end of the train tracks and by train tracks i mean mm-hmm. end of the subway basically the japan uses a little quiet town had a lighthouse type thing we just want to go camping you know we've, we've been in japan for three or four months we want to go out where there's a lot of forest in japan despite the size of it um roughly it's the same landmass as montana and john i'm not going to get an argument with you over fucking landmass because you know we all lost that battle once or twice yeah um, that's me uh that <laughs> argues with john about that and i'm wrong right much like day. <laughs> <laughs> so so we went camping and we woke up the next morning and, you know, we got these school kids like staring at us because we, we were, I guess we're camping on a trail or something, but we're by a lighthouse. We pack all of our shit up and there was a beach down below. So we go down to the beach and there was a Japanese group of people. There was uh, two women and two guys. And I think one other guy too, actually. And they were just paying, they're hanging out camping, but they spoke enough English where we could communicate with them. And so we literally spent half the fucking, we're down there for like four or five hours we're trading Japanese beers for American beers where there's one guy that's that's diving out in the ocean, um, shallow, you know, scuba gear. He's coming in and he's throwing seaweed. We're grilling seaweed. They're slicing it up. They're adding some spices and see like it was it was a fucking thing. Like it was fun. They were talking about their culture. We were talking about ours, Navy, military, all this stuff going on. And then all of a sudden all their watches go off all at the same time. And they all look at their watches. And they didn't say a fucking word, and they started gathering everything up, and they started throwing everything in the back of the car that was parked there on the on the beach access. And and I'm looking around. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And one of the guys comes up. He goes, oh, well, this is a mandatory business meeting. You know, we had to actually hang out with one another. But it's done now, so we're going to go home. And they packed their shit up and was gone within like two minutes. And there we were, <laughs> just fucking standing there like, what the fuck just happened? So, you know, they try they try to have that emotion and that camaraderie, I guess, into their culture and their work culture. I, I just, I, I just think they're a little askew, if that makes sense. I don't think they quite got the idea yeah. quite yet. It's like forced fun and forced team building. Like that has crept into American corporate culture too, where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to have a team building meeting. Like either we're going to take a couple hours during the workday or meet up after Work's going to pay for everything, so come hang yeah. out and have a drink or two and be social with each other outside of work, which on the surface of it, I think is a great thing. But on the once you get below the surface, it's kind of like, well, the, the realism me, of it. Yeah. Don't force me to hang out with people that I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Because at the end of the day, I'm at work to 
do my job, not make friends. I don't want to hang out with probably half the people I work with. I do that at the Christmas party and call yeah. it a call it a year. <laughs> like deal. I like I see you people, people all the time anyway. Like I see you yeah. more than people I like. So I don't want to spend any more time with you than I have to. Yeah, exactly. I really like all the people on my team. So if you're listening, I like you. But uh outside of that, when it's like a bigger function, I'm just like I'd rather just have my time to do my thing. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, for sure. And I mean, that being said, I actually like pretty much just everybody I work with too. You got a pretty good, you got a pretty good group of people there, man. I think John, yeah. you know, what you, I don't know your team, Josh, but my team, you know, I, I like my management team. They're pretty good. Um, you know, it is what it is, but I, I think in all in all, you know, you look at that, obviously, you know, Japan has a, an issue and I think we have an issue with that too. And one of the reasons, and, and I guess we can recap and roundhouse a little bit, but I kind of felt the pertinent to bring something like this up because you know what? We're in fucking weird times and I'm not going to take it to the point where, Oh my God, I can't fucking walk on the beach and I need a haircut. Fuck those fucking guys that are standing on the goddamn sidewalk with the sign saying they need a haircut. Fuck you guys. Fuck you. But I never realized how much people cared about getting a haircut. it's fucking stupid. Have you seen most of the people holding those signs? They don't need a fucking haircut. <laughs> Thank They're you. fine. Yeah. Yeah. They do it, need a life yeah. coach though. They need yes. fucking something. That's for sure. <laughs> so we talk about the subject because it is a thing and there are people and I know people that are really, you know, they're texting friends. I've heard from for a long time. They're going fucking stir crazy and stir crazy is like stage one. What's stage two, three, four or five look like? You know what I mean? And, you know, and I don't know, as we sit here as a country, not as a country, but as a world, not as a world, but as a species, you can get it as broad as you want, but we all have fucking been affected. And when you boil this down to what this is, it's a matter of appreciation. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that I wrote it and brought it up because, you know, just being alive and functioning as a human being is you really should fucking appreciate it more. And I don't think people do. So that's my two cents. I don't know what you guys think. Life is hard and it's also fucking beautiful. So if you're feeling itchy, like you're not where you want to be, or if being in quarantine has you down, reach out to your friends, please. Cause we're all here for you. Like fucking reach out to us, like strange uncles at gmail.com fucking DM us on the socials, whatever, not Facebook though. Cause that doesn't really work. <laughs> um, and then like, fucking call our hotline whatever like if you're if you're in a bad spot like you're not alone and yeah you don't need to be there by yourself so reach out to somebody yeah like rem said everybody hurts we all know you can be there yeah and it sounds super cliche and cheesy but like things can't get better when you're dead no. Nope. That's not cliche at all. That's fucking hundred percent real, dude. You know, because things yeah. can get better. Like, yeah, everybody goes through dark periods, but there's usually a light at the end of the tunnel. But if you end it all, you, it's a hundred percent not going to get better because you're gone. And you know, think of the impact that you're going to make on everybody you do love. Yeah, I think yeah. your family or that, or or you know, even if. You don't love them. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that care about you. So, yep. Yep. Well said. Well said. 
Um, with most, that, of, most of your friends will understand <clears throat> if yeah. you're worried about talking to them because you're embarrassed. Most of them will understand. Most of them have probably been through something similar. Like you're not alone. Sorry. Well, no. And if you're worried about talking to your friends then they might not be a really close friend anyway, you know, so you really got to have people that can fucking reach out and you can contact to, um, you know, so yeah, yeah, I know. Like I said, this is kind of, this gets better. There's some supernatural stuff into it. We'll cover that in part two. Um, 801-252-69. Yep. 45. And we will try to make that work. Uh, strangejugglesgml.com. Catch us on all platforms. Uh, become a Patreon member. We got more content out there. But uh, if nothing else, just keep on keeping on in these uh, strange times. And I think if we can ask anything from you guys, at least try to do that. You know? Mm-hmm. And we can go from there. So, do you guys have anything right. else? I think, uh, I think it's about time to close the gates. Close the gates. You're right been listening to a fourth hand production.